0: everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an absolute podcast. I'm your host, as always John Casillan. and with me today is Dan Lyons.
1: Hello, everyone. Happy Syracuse Preview Week.
0: Syracuse Preview Week is pretty much the only good thing going on right now. Pretty much. So we're uh, we're just gonna try to focus on that. Um, a lot of a lot of not good stuff going on in the world between everything in Wisconsin, everything around the country, obviously, um, the terrible uh, now looks like could be just short of a cat five hurricane um, in the Gulf. Uh, you know, obviously, uh, thoughts with everybody involved in, in, in these various events. Um, even if you can take action, uh, whether that's, you know, actually getting involved financially, however, you can um, to help all these people that, that are affected by these various atrocities man-made and otherwise uh, going on, like, please do. I know I will be on my end.
1: Yeah. It's like, you know, if we didn't already have like everything being thrown at us at once, you have uh yet another awful set of shootings and, and the aftermath has been like just as bad, if not worse. And then the storms, which are, you know, I feel like we have them hit the Gulf and devastate things every like two years now. Um And they're, you know, multiple storms hitting at once which is crazy so just like if you step on doubling down on on stuff happening this year but uh hopefully as you said people rise to the occasion uh especially with the storm stuff that you know people tend to show their best sides in reaction to things like that so hopefully uh hopefully that is true again this year
0: very much agreed um also in our obligatory uh Mets talk that we usually go through when the Mets are actually playing, unlike last week. Um, the Mets decided to uh, set a new record for futility yesterday, or at least try to. Um, they did some amazing things on the baseball field. None of them involved scoring runs. Um, and, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm so glad to be a fan of this baseball team.
1: They allowed a guy who fell down while running to steal home on a pitch that was not a pass ball or a wild pitch. Just so, un- unbelievable. I don't think I've ever seen it before. And it happened to my team. I should feel honored, honestly.
0: Could it happen to any other team?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Just awful. Um, The drama's pitching well tonight, though, so that's good.
0: Take it. All right. So, Dan, we are going to start with uh, kind of a quick overview of the coaching staff here and then jump into the position-by-position rundown like we usually do. Um, I don't think we have to do a game-by-game schedule look this year. Uh, We can kind of just give some guesses, if only because I feel like this schedule might change three or four times uh, before this season happens, if at all. Um, So rather than waste our time with that usual exercise, I think it's probably best to just guess um, as to where things net out. Um, But first and foremost, um, Syracuse made some uh, changes on the staff. Uh, from last year after a pretty uh rough 2019 season that came in with a lot of high expectations and ended with a uh, well not a thud i mean the record was a thud at five and seven but um the season actually ended with a pretty cool um strip six uh, by Troy williams uh nonetheless um, su changed out both their offensive and defense coordinators you have tony white taking over the defense installing a 335 sterling gilbert uh, Dino's old OC from the Eastern Illinois um, in first year uh, bowling green days uh, takes over on offense. Mike Lynch moves uh, back to uh, position coach status, also a longtime Dino assistant. Kim McLeod heads out, um, and uh, Chip West takes over at uh, a cornerback's coach. So big changes right at the beginning. I was honestly curious how quick Dino was willing to kind of rip off the band aid on the family band once. Um, once things kind of started to sour last year, and I was actually impressed with how quickly um, and decisively he moved this offseason, uh, e- even if, you know, one of the additions is kind of a, a name from the past and Gilbert, Gilbert was a pretty successful coach under Dino and he's, he's found success elsewhere uh, since. So I, 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 I was a fan of the move for the most part. And, uh, and realistically, I think not to always compare Dino to Scott Schaefer, but obviously you saw it with Schaefer uh, not really as quick to move on um, when things weren't working um, and w- w- with a pre-established, uh, staff uh, that, that he also kind of pulled together and really kept with him, um, for the entirety of his run in Syracuse.
1: Yeah, no, I think we, we talked a lot about these hires when they were made back in the, uh, in the winter spring time. Um, impressed with both of them. Gilbert obviously has a ton of experience, um, a bit of a mitts bag. I know like, obviously Texas didn't work out all that well, although, you know, he joined Texas as like, and was trying to be like a bandaid on a, you know, a, a program that just clearly wasn't working out um south florida um i think we've been more impressed with the numbers i know there are some bulls fans that like chimed in after we hired him and like you know kind of poo-pooed what he did down there but um you know overall i think the, the signs are pretty good uh with how he worked under charlie strong and then at mcneese state last year um as head coach he seemed to have things going in a, a decent direction um before they got hit with some ncaa issues that were not really you know he wasn't involved in at all um so yeah, I think it's it's a nice hire on the offensive end. Um, I don't think it's going to drastically change what our offense looks like, but it can, you know, refocus things, bring different voices in how we're teaching, how we're how we're approaching and managing games. Um, he has a ton of offensive coordinator experience now um, and play calling experience, uh, going all the way back to uh, the Eastern Illinois days under Babers. Um, but he's been you know under Strawn for years. Uh, obviously, Strawn has had a very strange career since leaving Louisville, but you know, it's a big name coach and with big stops. Um, so it, it, I think it's good to, uh, if you're gonna bring someone in from the you know, the film, the family, quote unquote, uh, someone who's had these other experiences and has been kind of off the he's been, uh, you know, off of Babers's staff since 2014. So it's he's coached more for other guys, um, namely Phil Montgomery and Charlie Strand, and then was head coach for a, a hot minute, um, than he did under Babers. So it's not like he was a guy who was gone for like a year. Um, and then the defensive coordinator situation, I thought we, you know, handled it extremely well considering what was uh, a really tough position in the off season, losing uh coordinator after you had hired him. Um, but I, I think, uh, it was good that Babers identified. He wanted to make this move to the three, three, five. I think it works really well for what, um, we want our defensive philosophy, uh, philosophy to be and what the strengths of our current roster is, uh, are, um, so I, I, we talked about this a lot back when, when uh, the moves were made. Um, I think they on paper looked really good and should be a good fit for, for what we're trying to do. So um, definitely positives uh, looked like, you know, going into this off season, we knew we had to make some moves, Um uh, we we didn't make a change off the line, which is what we thought was like maybe the most likely spot. Um, but I think there we've since in recruiting and uh, some of the like more advanced number things that we've seen in the offseason kind of indicate that there might have been some growth at the end of the year. Plus the recruiting wins. Um, let's say that Chavanaugh, you know, deserves at least a second shot. So, you know, we're getting it. So we'll see what happens with it. Um, but overall, it seemed like Dino had a plan going into the offseason uh, wasn't, you know, identified what he wanted to do on defense, uh, systematically and what he likes, you know, what he has trouble coaching against and what, you know, he, um, kind of looks for in defensive, uh, coaches and a shift in philosophy. Um, and then is, is trying to just, you know, find the best version of what the offense can be. So he, he had a strategy, uh, he was throwing some serious turf balls, um, and he, you know, dealt with them pretty well. So, uh, pretty, pretty excited about the coaching changes.
0: Yeah, same here. And we'll get into like kind of what those changes mean a little bit as we go. Um, so starting with quarterbacks, just going to go down the line. Um, Tommy DeVito, solid season last year. I think it was a weird one for him in some ways, if only because like there were plenty of games where I felt like he had a bad game and I looked at the numbers and he didn't, um, which is kind of confusing. I know the NC State game to me in particular stands out a game in which he hit 300 yards yet. I couldn't remember a single pass Um, That he completed um, throughout it at the same time, like historically like some really solid numbers for a Syracuse quarterback in a single season, uh, 2,360 passing yards, 19 touchdowns, uh, just five picks. Uh, He wasn't intercepted after September, uh, which is pretty impressive, especially considering he was running for his life. Uh, Much of that time also picked up 122 yards rushing on the ground, uh, had a reception, uh, the, the sort of thing that you don't normally see from a quarterback. Um, he was pretty injured in the second half of the year and I still felt like overall um, put in an admirable effort that's not to excuse some of the struggles I know there were plenty of games where he was you know less than efficient but at the same time like found a way here and there I mean he had what four games where he passed for at least 250 yards he also unfortunately had four games where he passed for about 153 or fewer yards but yeah I, I think the lack of turnovers to close out the year showed some growth, I Thought the fact that he was still able to to maintain some accuracy in a lot of these later games uh, w- was a great sign of growth. And overall, like I think he's a much better player than what we saw last year. And I think having a good offensive line, hopefully in front of him and having a healthy uh, DeVito under center um, is going to help immensely with this team.
1: Yeah. It, it's tough because I think there were some early season performances um, when he was playing, he was healthier and playing um, a bit looser. Um, where like at best he didn't look uh he probably wasn't quite as good as you know, he looked in spots and then at his worst, I think, um, with the offensive line issues, with the injuries. Uh, and then honestly with some of the development that a lot of people overlooked, and especially with the turnover problem, um, which again it's funny to call it a turnover problem when he had five interceptions in the whole year, but they were so glaring and so stacked early on that you know, we were we harped about it a lot. Um, he definitely showed some growth where you could. Um the offensive line obviously um, wall did develop during the year a bit uh, was such an issue. And we didn't really find like even our, our best five lineup until what, like two thirds of the way through the year. Um, it really hampered, I think his development for the year. Um, so I think it's definitely fair to say like, you know, here's what we have. Um, here's what it looked like last year. Uh, let's let cinch with the positives and, and hope, hopefully if the other sp- uh, parts of this offense continue to come along a bit um, David will be put in a position to win where he just so often wasn't last year um, and then if he can continue to, to look for those big throws without doing the just that one horrible mistake where he was kept on forcing the ball on the sideline when he was flushed out of the pocket which happened I bet it was like well, at least three of his interceptions if not four I think it was
0: about four of four of the five and i'm pretty sure like probably a couple more near ones but all of them were really in september thankfully
1: yeah it was like it was like a it was a, like a clear like bailout hitch he had almost where like the play broke down in the pocket he forced himself to the sideline and then instead of just throwing the ball away or living to a play another uh, snap he tried to force like a really difficult throw to the sideline even if there was basically no window there for his receiver um and just didn't work out and that just basically stopped after a while, um which is definitely a credit to him and the coaching staff for like getting it out of his system, um uh, because that that can be a hard thing for uh, a player who I, I mean it seemed like it was kind of an instinctive thing for him, um to get coached out of so hopefully um if he can just if he gets a, a, a more clean pocket this year, um we'll get to see some more good things from him. Um I still have a lot of faith in him. Um obviously there was so much hype going into last year. Uh, it's almost like a, like a 2019 Baker Mayfield situation where like, you know, DeVito was, was so impressive in those few spots uh, in 2018. And like people just took like the best possible scenario of what he could be and and put that as like their expectation rather than like, a, you know, something that might happen. And that was just a tough place for him to go. And then obviously our team had issues that we didn't necessarily see coming totally. Um, it ended up being kind of like a, you know, bottom of our expectation season. So Um, even so, like, I think that there's still plenty of room to draw for him and, and, you know, maybe you just, we just kind of delay those and say, you know, they didn't come true last year. It doesn't mean that that's not still his ceiling. Um, and maybe, you know, the new coaching, obviously Gilbert's worked with a lot of, a lot of quarterbacks, Babers, uh, who knows if he's like slightly more involved in that side of the ball or that, you know, individual portion again. Um, but like, there's a lot of quarterback coaching experience on this, uh, coaching staff that there wasn't last year.
0: Yeah, I agree there. I think that, you know, bringing Gilbert, allowing him to kind of work with DeVito um, again, DeVito is a quick study for the most part. I think last year team-wide, it wasn't just DeVito. Uh, you definitely saw the pressures of uh, being ranked early, the pressures of what 2018 brought to the program. I think a lot of that weighed on players. And when you add in, you know, injuries, I think that really starts to hurt. So I, I I'm pretty high on DeVito as well um, for this season. Um we're not going to really talk much about the backup situation, but who do you think is probably DeVito's backup? And hopefully we don't see much of uh, whoever he may be. That's a
1: very good question. Um, I think like it's pretty easy to to default to Retz Culpepper just because he's the only guy who's played. And honestly, like, obviously he's gone through a lot in his, uh, during his career, he switched positions multiple times. Um, I thought he looked pretty good when he played quarterback a few years ago in 2017. Uh, It's been a while. But um, if he looks like that guy again, I think he's you know the type of guy you could insert in there and and you know maybe keep things afloat for a bit. Um, obviously, if Devito goes down for long term, then it's a huge issue, and then maybe you look more towards like a David Summers and see what you have in him. Um, so I think like if it's a short term thing, I think Culpepper makes the most sense. If like we're in like that dire situation, um, then it wouldn't surprise me to see them open up the things a bit because you have three. Um, Pretty uh, interesting freshman prospects in summers who registered last season. Uh, Dylan Markowitz, uh and Jatobian Morgan. Um, if, any, if we've learned anything from from like the stocking of quarterbacks that we've had to do because things were so thin for a while, uh, including like the upcoming guys, um, we know that Babers is a type. <laughs> like all these guys are sits 4 four. They're all pretty lean. It's uh, it's they all seem like kind of athletic players who um you know aren't going to be dungy in terms of like uh tucking in and going through the in between the tackles and um and you know trying to make everything happen on the ground but definitely guys who can like extend plays and like the can uh but i think it's been a kind of an interesting tell like dino wants a big tall guy back there who will probably be able to take a couple hits and can really deliver the ball um and that seems like the kind of like project player that we've been going after
0: Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I, I agree with you on, on backups. Like I think in a pinch, like it's Rex, assuming Rex can, uh, you know, I think he didn't look great last year, but I, I think you give him a pass there considering he wasn't the primary backup. Um, I, I think that if we see Rex somewhere closer to 2017, it's an easy sell uh, to have him come in there and spot duty, whatever. Um, but yeah, if we're looking at, you know, future development, I think summers is your first call up if only because, um Obviously, there's some similarities with Tevito. They had the same QB coach in high school. Um, on top of that, Summers has already been on uh, campus for a year and was here in spring. He was able to at least learn parts of the uh, the newer offense. Um, you know, Markowitz and uh, and Morgan only showed up um, in the last month or two. Uh, obviously, like they were doing work in the off season, but at the same time, like there's only so much you can do uh, without being on campus and being involved um, in drills and in in person coaching too. So. I, hopefully, we don't have to hear much from Tommy DeVito's backup, but uh, at least we know who he may be. Um, at the running back spot, just kind of moving down the list, uh, I think Abdul Adams and Darvin Howard are similar type of backs. Uh, I think they'll still end up splitting carries uh, for the most part. I think Adams is probably your 1A, uh, and, and really, I hope we see something close to, not even close to, I think if we even saw like half of what we saw from him at Oklahoma, uh, that that. That's a, a really nice piece uh to be able to bring to the table. I know he's kind of struggled here and there. Um at Syracuse. I feel like I don't know if it was, you know, Dino's hot hand approach or just offensive line struggles, but it never really seemed to to click last year. Um and, and Mo was definitely the the back that was much more likely to break one uh open. Howard obviously is is a bruiser, but really is only about two pounds heavier uh than Adams, so isn't necessarily like a stronger option in between the tackles by any means. Uh, And then obviously there's Jawar Jordan who I've been campaigning to, uh, to either put in like an H back role or, uh, or maybe even put in in the slot. But I I think we're going to see a lot of all three players this year.
1: Yeah. It's an interesting mix. Um, Like you said, uh, Howard and Adams Mm -hmm. kind of profile similarly in terms of their size, but they run differently. Um, Adams is more of the home run hitter. And Howard's like, seems to be more of a power back, just stylistically, even if they're, you know, roughly the same guy uh, size wise. Um, yeah, I, I totally drowned Adams last year. It just seems like he never really was able to get into a, a true rhythm. Um, and Moneal, I think, is going to end up having like one of the more underrated years, especially with the offensive line troubles we had. Um, averaging five yards a carry and seven touchdowns behind that line and av- adding another 240 uh, on, through the air. Like, a thousand-yard season for a back last year, considering the struggles of the offense, is really impressive. Um, and then... Adams just, like, he had a couple moments where he looked really good. He, he caught the ball pretty well. He had, you know, almost 10 yards at a, a catch on a t- 15 catches. But um, just, like, seemed to to really struggle to, like, find his role um, because he's kind of a similar player to Neal, if a little bigger. Versus Howard, uh, we knew more of, like, I think what we wanted from him. And then Jordan, like you said, really exciting player. Um, as kind of that gadget guy coming out of the batfield. I I hope to see him split out wide, too. I just think, like... George Jordan's just such a talented player with ball in his hands that you just kind of need to find a way to get it to him, even if he's not going to be like an every down back type.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. I, you know what, knowing Dino, knowing how much of an offensive mind Gilbert is like, they're, they're not going to struggle. with Dino uh, even mentioned Jordan a little bit um, on this week's press conference. And it, it seems like that we'll see plenty of him um, last year in four games. He had like 306 uh, total yards. That's uh, both on special teams and offense. Um, limited touches in there too. I think he had like fewer than 20 touches um, total to to amass those yards. I think once, you know, teams get some tape on him, obviously things change a little bit, but realistically he's like the fastest guy on the team and somebody who is is going to be able to punish defenses. And I think our ability to deploy him is is, is going to be pretty awesome. I think it's just going to depend on, how we decide to do that, look, you know, like we both kind of alluded to, there's going to be some running back work, but I think he's going to be much more uh, interesting in that H-backs or um, or slot role because, yeah, as a gadget type guy and as someone who can really, like, like if we find out that Jawar Jordan can throw the ball, then I think we have a real like wacky offense on our hands. Uh, but more than that, I'm just banking on us to be able to use his speed and open space. Maybe we see even with an, a, a better offensive line maybe we see the screen game used a lot more because his speed is able to kind of get him out of those uh, situations better than than maybe a Neal or, or an Adams were able to last year.
1: Yeah, I, I just think like Jordan's the type of player, I would love to see him get like like 10 to 12 touches a game minimum if possible. And I know that's a tough order, but if we start to like dial the offense back up or we're running like 80 plus plays a game, um, you know, maybe it's not crazy. Uh, though I know there, there could be a lot of mouths to feed, not to uh, so blatantly segue into the wide receivers and tight ends.
0: I'll take the segue, however. Uh, yeah, wide receivers are interesting. Uh, obviously, we lost Tristan Jackson after one big standout uh, campaign. Uh, he declared for the NFL draft. Unfortunately, he was not selected. Uh, so the top returning talent is Taj Harris, who actually started coming along again in the second half of the year. Um, I don't think he was injured last year necessarily, but it does seem like him and Tommy DeVito were just never really on the same page. Um, and that chemistry issue kind of hurt the orange a little bit. Um, that's not to peg it on one player or the other. Honestly, just think that like there was just some something not clicking with where one was supposed to be versus the other, um, and that seemed to start alleviating itself in the second half of last year. Um, and honestly, I think that he's you know somebody who could be poised to improve a ton um, and maybe one of the more improved players in the ACC this year. Uh, he's I've re- I think we've honestly he's a great route runner. He's a solid blocker. Um, I, I think we've really only started to see. Um, what he can do with Syracuse and now is the like the kind of um, unquestioned number one option. I feel like he's the uh, he's going to be a really exciting player for Syracuse, but you know, he can't be the only one. And that's kind of the big question we have now.
1: Yeah. I mean, every year under Babers, um, no matter how good the office has been or be, or you know, and even the office has left something to be desired. We've had the one big wide receiver. Um, I agree. I, I, I was reading your uh, wide receiver preview earlier. Um, he definitely reminds me a lot of Steve Ishmael of all the receivers that we've had come through with these big years between like the Trustis and the Tristan Jacksons and, and, uh, AATs and whatnot. Um, I think he has a very similar body type. He has similar, uh, you know, solid route running, um, and should be that like kind of biggish, um, strong receiver, uh, that we can kind of like play off of to get some of these like smaller guys and more crafty players, uh, touches. Um, I think, uh, Nikeem Johnson, um who had a really nice year two years ago uh really struggled last year had dealt with some injuries but he was seemed like a a really you know a dynamic playmaker uh coming into his own in 2018 hopefully we can see more of that um but then also i think someone between the the cameron jordan and ed Hendricks uh duo the two sits three kind of like almost 220 guys although jordan's Um,
0: no longer with us
1: oh yeah i'm looking at the old depth chart uh, yes, Tamron Jordan left. So Ed Hendricks, four-star recruit. We've
0: lost so many players this offseason since the last step chart came out.
1: It's like, and it's so hard to like even focus on it as like a big piece of news because of life. Um, <laughs> so yes, Tamron Jordan, good luck to you uh, in your future endeavors. Um, Ed Hendricks, can you, you step up? Uh, the former four-star has been just like, unfortunately dealt with uh, numerous injuries throughout his career. Um, but like, he's only a redshirt sophomore. There's, uh, you know, still plenty of hope for him. Um, and I think like, if Taj is going to be the guy who draws in, uh, the most attention and Nikeem kind of gets back underway, like we've seen those third receivers be dangerous in this offense, especially two years ago where he spread the ball around so well. Um, so it'd be cool to see him get going. He has a ton of talent. Um, he just hasn't had an opportunity to show it yet. So hopefully, uh, hopefully this is his year and he can really step up and take over that role now that Damron Jordan is, uh, no longer with us.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see Hendricks jump in. I think a lot of folks would, um, too. He's definitely, you know, a high upside guy, but a guy, yeah, that just hasn't seen the field, um, had a ton of talent in high school. I think this is going to be an interesting season that, like, we could end up with a lot of guys that we haven't seen much of before, kind of getting opportunities, and especially with uh, w- with the way the NCAA's changed things, and it seems like eligibility is going to be a little bit easier uh, to hold on to. Uh, you could see Dino and Co really throw out as many players as possible um, and, and allow guys to have fresh legs, also allow Dino to kind of see what he has on the roster here. Uh, I think Nike Johnson is going to have an opportunity to kind of hold down that inside receiver uh, spot and, and, and reproduce what he did a couple of years ago. But at the same time, like he's going to have, you know, Courtney Jackson kind of pressing him a bit. Uh, Sherrod Johnson's another guy who's probably going to be on the inside um, and could also press uh, for snaps. Hendricks, I think, is your likely starting wide receiver outside. Um, Anthony Quayley, my challenge there. Uh, another name to watch, I'd say I'd say even more so if he had been there in spring, but Damian Alford, uh, the uh, Florida product by, well, Canada product by way of Florida, big guy at 6'5", uh, definitely the type of receiver that Dino likes to have out wide. Um, so I'd like to see potentially some of him um, oppositeage at some point this fall. I um, also think we're probably going to see a little more two tight end sets um, this season, just because of, you know, the, the talent we saw from the two headed monster that was Aaron Hackett and uh, and Luke Benson. Benson's a really interesting uh, guy because he's uh he's kind of a hybrid between receiver and tight end. he's got tight end size with some wide receiver speed um, really create a matchup nightmare. And he looked really good. Um, think of what eight catches for 176 and three touchdowns last year. Like, definitely the type of guy that we're going to see on the field more. And yeah, if for some reason uh, we don't see more than, you know, two wide receivers um, emerge here in the early part of fall, I think we could end up seeing more two tight end sets um, given that Hackett um, who, who ended up, you know, being a bit of a red zone uh, monster last year um, and Benson, you know, are kind of proven commodities.
1: Yeah. Hackett clearly has like that red zone connection with DeVito. He had six touchdowns last year. Um, you know, doesn't do the huge yardage stuff, but when he's down there, he's very sure handed. Um, wouldn't surprise me at all if he just been his role in the offense, uh, going forward. Um, and then Benson, like you said, super exciting player. Um, definitely want to see him on the field more. I like the idea of having him, uh, maybe in some spread, uh, some more like multiple wide receiver spread formations running on the inside just to give like different looks because like we could hypothetically have Nike Johnson on the inside one play and then throw Luke Benson out there. And it's, you know, there are a lot of options with the types of players that we have um, and the different kinds of uh, weapons that Babers has refuted. Um, But obviously like eight catches uh, is the fact that he had eight catches for 176 yards. Like every time we got him the ball, he was such a matchup nightmare for people that it was, it ended up being a big play. Um, if we just need to we just need to find a way to uh to exploit him more and 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 get him in there, and I I expect to see those two tight end sets as well.
0: And that moves us to the offensive line, um, as you mentioned, <laughs> beleaguered first last year for for much of the season.
1: Yeah, the the definitely the the hinge. I think I mean it's been I feel like it's every other year basically, but probably the hinged group of the entire team.
0: Yeah, I buy that. Um, last year, I think we had higher hopes in in what we had. Um, you know, Ryan Alexander was not necessarily uh, the solution we thought at tackle. Uh, we obviously had, you know, early injuries uh, to Sam Heckle. Uh, I think in general, like there was just a, there was a bit of youth that needed to come along. And, and, and I think that that kind of created some consternation around the, uh, around Mike Cavanaugh. And I think by the end of the season, Some of that subsided, and I think the way he's recruited this offseason has really helped us out a ton. Uh, We don't have to get into all that, but uh, realistically, I think the group that they're going to be trotting out there um, looks like a decent one. Uh, Service just grades out so much better uh, at left tackle than he did at center. Uh, That Arello, uh, by comparison, uh, had a pretty solid quarter of a season um, at center on his end. Matthew Bergeron really looked great um, as a freshman Last year, uh, kind of in the the you know back part of the season, right guard's going to be interesting. I, I think that you know Darius Tisdale probably slots in there for now, but uh, you know Chris Bleich, uh, the Florida transfer, that's his spot if he uh, if he's able to play. Uh, we still don't know from the NCAA clearinghouse if his transfer waiver is going to come through. Well, not the clearinghouse, I guess that's great stuff, but NCAA can make a ruling whenever the hell they feel like it about that uh, about that transfer of his. Um, and the waiver that he's supposed to get. um so if he gets that, then he'll probably be the starting right guard. Uh, Patrick Davis uh, will be starting on the uh, on the left side. So fairly experienced group. Uh, Blight started at Florida for much of the season last year. So uh, you know a year after uh, what was a really disastrous uh, kind of season, uh, we could actually have a really veteran group uh, coming back here despite losing starters and all
1: yeah it's interesting because like i think we 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 saw that like surveys you need him on the field he's a good player um he found his spotlight last year same with veterello like you could you could tell like we just needed to find kind of the the chemistry and like kind of the alchemy between the players that we had available and it definitely came along towards the end of the season bergeron i thought was super impressive for for a young offensive lineman um it'll be nice to see him continue to come along and develop and and you know we have the makings of like a group that can at least you know, the, some of the bones of it be together for a little bit here. Um, Bleich obviously would be a nice addition. I think we can survive even if the NCAA makes a weird decision to not him the waiver considering all the waivers they do grant. Um, but, like, you know, I think the best thing thing moving forward would be for be uh, to him to slide into one of those uh, five spots. Um, it does feel like last year kind of reminds me of, like, the 2016 or 2017 line before 2018, when we had that really solid group, like uh, we had similar things where guys were out of position. We were trying to find the best spots for people. Um, I don't think it was quite as disastrous or disruptive, and it probably didn't cost us twice as much as last year did, where we probably were a bowl team if we had like an average offensive line. Um, But hopefully we can have kind of a similar development uh, as we did in 2018 when the line ended up like, if not overpowering, ended up being, you know, I'd say a relative strength of the team. and allowing the team to really uh, flourish around it. So, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, there's still plenty of work to do and, and guys still need to, uh, to take steps forward. But I think there's there's definite reasons for optimism here.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know David Hale, I think, had SU's offensive line ranked fourth in the ACC yeah. I'm not going to go that high. <laughs> I, I would
1: sign for eighth, like, tomorrow. Yes, yeah, um, And that's not saying a lot, because the ACC offensive lines last year, uh, some of you may remember, as a whole – Abysmal, just horrendous. <laughs> but Syracuse was like maybe the worst of them, and that's not where you want to be. Um, so shooting up to fourth, I think, is a big ask. Um, but Seven, I think it's eight? that's fine. Yeah, eighth, I'd be fine. Like, I'd be, I'd be pretty happy. And that's assuming that not every ACC line is a disaster like it was last year. Like, the entire league is probably going to take a step forward just based on how these things generally work. Um, usually you don't have like across the board for the lines every single year. Um, but then you know, going on from there, you know, if we, if we could jump into the top half, I think that'd be pretty reasonable and would, would, I mean, I, I think we said last year, if we had a decent offensive line, I would be very surprised if we didn't win six or seven games, not changing anything else.
0: Yeah, I I would agree there. I I think, I think line is so critical. And I think you see with the 2021 uh, focus on, on the trenches on both sides um, shows kind of Dino reinvesting in in, in the trenches as like the, the, the key to success and and that if you have a good scheme and i think he does then the rest kind of figures itself out
1: another solid transition
0: yeah um but before we get to the defensive line dan why don't we talk a little bit about beer
1: oh uh uh a little, little okay. head time action. <laughs> i guess it makes sense we are between the <laughs> office and the defense um i had a busy beer weekend i was upstate in the Stills on an actual vacation which was nice um had plenty of upstate stuff uh which i made a point to drink uh I had some uh, Sunrise Session from Northway, uh, which is a really delicious, super drinkable Session IPA. Um, maybe my favorite beer of the whole weekend from Rare Form in Troy. Uh, they're Practically Magic, which is like a coconut lime sour. Um, really, really delicious blend of those flavors um, without being like obnoxiously like uh, like cocktaily. It like, was definitely a beer, but it had a, a really nice uh, contribution from both of those. Um, had uh, West Hill, uh, went to that brewery um was a really uh cool spot uh just like up in the hills um just lots of open areas and food trucks and whatnot uh definitely a cool place to hang out if you're in the Tatstills area um their perched old nail was delicious uh their Tatterstill ipa one of the best beers i had over the weekend um had some blueberry loud and some none the wiser actually which i'm drinking right now from wolf hollow very delicious and then for the non-upstate beers um i broke into my goose island uh 2017 bourbon county sprant stout uh, which was uh, very, very good, uh, as expected. And uh, actually had some Edmunds Oast, again, uh, their Sour Guava Tangerine. All those sours that they do are pretty spectacular, but that one, uh, again, fits the bill.
0: Nicely done. A lot of Russian River stuff on my end, as mentioned. I got a shipment from them. I had some uh, Plenty for President. Uh, it's the uh, double dry hop version of their, uh, their world-class uh, double IPA. Had a Citra Flash Mob, it was a slightly hazy pale ale uh, from them that was pretty good. Had their uh, Row 2 Hill 56, was a West Coast style uh, pale ale uh, that I've always enjoyed. And then uh, Mind Circus, a, a hazy IPA from them. Also had uh, from Brow Ridge West, uh, down here, uh, Picnic Lightning, a, a hazy IPA that I've, I've had before, but uh, pretty enjoyable uh, local option.
1: Nice. I, I am extremely jealous of all of the uh, Russian River uh, potential.
0: There, there, there's definitely a lot of it. I, uh, I, I would highly recommend um, people find a way to get some if they can. There there are numerous options, and I'll leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Dan, I will take the baton on your, uh, your segue from earlier and uh, jump into the defensive line. So, defensive line lost a bunch uh, from last year. Brandon Barry's gone. Uh, Alton Robinson's gone. Kendall Coleman's gone. Uh, that's kind of problematic from a Sachs perspective. That said, I'm not super worried about this group for some reason. Uh, I think a lot of it's just because of, of, of who we have back and and what they were able to produce uh, between McKinley Williams, Josh Black, uh, Cody Roscoe, who uh, who comes to us from McNeese State. Um, he kind of was brought along uh, for the ride uh, by Sterling Gilbert. And then once uh, once the APR issues came up for McNeese and he realized that they weren't going to a postseason game, I uh, figured might as well come help us out on the uh, on the line. So that's pretty nice setup for us. Uh, Drew Tuazama is another guy who could potentially uh, end up out there on the defensive line. Uh, and then beyond them, it's a lot of questions about, not a ton of experience. I mean, Curtis Harper is probably the most experienced option left, um, but a lot of guys who are kind of redshirt freshmen or true freshmen uh, who we might see on the line, but realistically are uh, are, are definitely like unproven guys.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I think McKinley Williams is very possibly like the most important player on this defense. Uh, we saw um, some you know decent results on the outside, but I think his absence for a lot of last year uh, was really telling. Um, and especially moving to the three three five, he's going to be the anchor up front and uh, just super important. Um, without him, like you said, we're we're trying to go in with like Curtis Harper, someone who's not super well proven, and McKinley. Um, for a guy his size, like gets after the quarterback pretty well. Really good run defender. Obviously, just kind of a freakish athlete. Um, so hopefully, Bear can play the full season and uh, looks good doing it. Um, I think if he is the type of uh, disruptive force in the middle that he can be. I think uh, I'm again, like you said, not super worried about losing out on Alton Robinson um, and company. Like I, I obviously, I don't think we have the the high end sack numbers that that group gave us, but um, I think Kingsland Jonathan's been like kind of an underrated player here for a couple of years. I think Josh Bach is very, very good. Cody um, Rasto obviously brings uh, a lot of pass rush experience from McNeese state. Obviously it's a big jump up in level, but, Um, We've seen, you know, Alton Robinson do the same thing. We've seen that translate before. Um, So as long as we're getting... He can
0: can get into passing lanes better than, I mean, I don't care what level you're at. If you can, what, you deflected, what, six or seven passes in a game last year?
1: Yeah, I mean, that's just nuts. And that's just, like, instinctual and, like, having a pretty rare ability. There's very few defensive linemen who just, like, know how to do that. That's just, like, it's very impressive um and that could be you know that that derails on a third down that's a turnover basically that's like a hugely derailing play when you get a ball batted down the line there's like no way to really make a make up for that it's just kind of dead dead on arrival so um definitely an exciting uh potential there at defensive end um i think that could be one of our better groups uh, if everything comes together um but yeah it just it hinges on mckinley being being a beast in the middle
0: I agree. And I think that's why like you and I are both kind of high in the three, three, five alignment. It's because it did play to his strength. Obviously, yes, you lost a bunch on the line, but has a, has a decent amount coming back. I think the strength of that group though is in the, in the middle. Um, Josh Black's kind of played both inside and out. Williams obviously is such a key player uh, for this defense on the inside. I think you can kind to mess around with, with, with who is in there, you know, outside. I mentioned a couple players, players uh, like to Azama, obviously, you know, King's Jonathan, like, but even like guys like Caleb Okachukwu who have yet to really see the field, um, you, you you can do a, a lot with this group. And, again, if, if eligibility stuff shakes out the way it seems like it's going to, um, then we could we could really throw a lot at opposing teams and, and see what we have here. And I think there's some really interesting pass rushers um, who've, who've made it to campus in the last year or two.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it should be an interesting group for sure. Um I think beyond them, like in the middle, it, it, we need we need the defensive bats to be as good as they can be. And we need the defensive line to really pick up. He's a den, like linebacker uh, just
0: Preset, seems to. Once again.
1: <laughs> yeah. It just seems like we were so stopped there for so long. Like, but no matter what else is happening with the Syracuse team, there was like a five or six year period where linebacker, we just churned dies out. Obviously oh, having a guy that, like.
0: I'd say since like 07, like from 07 to yep, like 2017, that's right. we were like set.
1: Even like, you know, we had like, guys like doug ho Darrell smith like Zaire franklin was obviously a great player for four years we had Can so match, many guys yeah. who tam lynch we had so many guys who like started playing well early and even if they didn't start four years like they were involved for four years and now it's just like kind of been a mash unit ever since like for the last two or three um that being said i think there is some talent here uh i think uh tyrell richards hopefully has a chance to kind of finally find his fit in this new defense um i think uh but there's like a lot of, you know, Mitchell Jones and Leek Padba, who were, you know, huge uh, recruits coming in to like, you know, four-star-ish guys uh, a year ago. Um, both played last year, but neither one uh, had like a huge, huge season. Um, but I think Jones has a potential too, um, for sure. Uh, but we're going to have to really just find something, figure some things out because it's uh, it's a very lean group in terms of experience.
0: Yeah, I know that's kind of like what I focused on um in my uh my preview too like while richards is exciting and I, I think it's nice to actually have him like settled in um at a starting role um as the weak side linebacker in this scheme um everybody else is kind of up for debate uh jeff canton uh didn't play a ton on defense he was really a special teamer uh, but it seems like he impressed enough in uh in spring ball before things got shut down uh to take over as the starting middle linebacker again at least for now um, I know Dino's also, and Stephen Bailey wrote about this on Syracuse.com. Like, it seems like Dino's been trying to stress size um, at the linebacker spot, and that doesn't necessarily bode well for Jones, who's about six foot flat. I think Lee Pog was about the same uh, versus guys like Arku, who are 6'4". Um, Steve Linton, uh, the converted uh, defensive uh, end, is six um, there There's just a lot of... There's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of inexperience. I think Mikel Jones, whether he starts or not, still ends up playing a pretty big role here. Um, and same goes for, uh, for Lee Pogba. Um, Ishmael Goldburn's another interesting player, another converted defensive end, um, who, who's long. He's uh, he's pretty light. He's around 207. Um, and then really beyond that, there's, it's true freshman. Uh, so I, I feel like, you know, I, I've talked about this in numerous articles over the last, you know, six to nine months, just how much um, you know, linebacker attrition uh, has really kind of hampered this team a bit. And and, and that kind of continued with losing guys like kadim Trotter, uh, Juan Wallace. Obviously, we've lost, you know, Shai Cullen, Nadarius Fagan, um, Trey Allison, all these guys before, like, they really even got to get going. Um within this defense and, and in this linebacker group and that's how you kind of end up in this situation i'm not like low on our linebackers i think there's some potential here but there's still far more question marks and there's going to be um for at least another year since i know we kind of swung and missed on on our top targets at linebacker two for 2021
1: yeah it's also like if there's a group that is getting crunched a bit by the by the steam change like it was clearly a steam change that was made to accentuate. We have a defensive line and defensive back. So um, while those two groups have to carry us, it also, um, you know, it could present some issues for the linebacking core as well that they're going to have to overcome. But um, this is always going to be the weak part of the defense, no matter what we did this year. So, you know, hopefully, uh, hopefully the staff is ready to to combat it and, and put them in positions to succeed. But we have enough talent in the back end and enough like potential in the front end that you know, hopefully it doesn't turn into a, you know a major thing but we'll you know we'll find out i guess
0: yeah i mean realistically i think they they struggled a ton last year um i it's not they were able to rack up tackles but i don't necessarily think they succeeded a ton as a group
1: yeah there was definitely some like misnomer like kind of bad stat stuff going on with the tackle numbers
0: yeah so i i'm I'm excited to see something different here and, and it seems like the current linebackers are at least a little better in coverage too uh, which will be exciting. I also, again, just want to see Tyrell Richards uh, kind of unleashed on oh, uh, on opposing teams because we haven't really seen it, uh, a lot of him. Um, and that's disappointing for me anyway. But moving on, I think one of the strongest groups uh, on this team, the secondary, um, despite losing uh, a couple starters um, and Foster, Chris Frederick actually think this group is once again, really strong. Um, Andre Cisco gets the headlines uh, for obvious reasons. He's an All-American. Uh, he's one of the better safeties in the country. He's a potential first-round pick next year if he decides to declare for the draft. Um, but Ifita Milifonwu is also probably one of the better um, covered corners in the entire conference. And then Trill Williams is a guy who I know he's slotted in at uh, like traditional cornerback role right now. But I honestly, I mean, I know like they kind of mentioned it yesterday, too, uh, with Dino and Tommy DeVito but he might not necessarily get slotted in at the traditional corner role when he really excels in that kind of Rover nickelback type situation. And the fact that he can roam the field, make plays, like, I, I just, I don't see Trill as a traditional player. And I think they might be better served to use him at Rover and make someone like Eric Coley, um, you know, your, uh, your other corner opposite uh, iffy. But at the same time, like, beyond those guys is not really it's another situation where well i really like the top end of the depth chart Um, i'm very concerned about what happens afterward
1: yeah i think uh it's definitely a top heavy group um i do think if you can keep everyone healthy um the those three big guys uh, malafonu Williams, and uh uh oh geez um sisto all complement each other really well like Sisto, yeah of all the people to to uh, blank out for a second. Um, Sisto just patrols the field so well, is such a ball hawk, he takes away a lot of mistakes at the back end. Um, and Melifon, like you said, I thought he was just dy- like really dynamite last year when he was healthy. He played through injury towards the end of the year, and that he, you know, definitely had some bigger issues there. But, um, I thought the numbers, uh, the, the advanced numbers really kind of tell the story with him. Um, and then having a guy like that, like if you can have a Melifon we match up with the top receiver, like they're there aren't that many Clemsons on our schedule ever um, where there's like, you know, potentially two or three big play receivers to deal with. So if you can put Melifonu and at least like contain a a top guy, um, potentially moving Trill to that Rover role, like you alluded to, whether, you know, we'll see if it happens. But uh, again, I think that makes a lot of sense for him as well. Um, And then allowing him to, you know, pick up receivers here and there, get after the quarterback um, and just play, like make plays. Um, I think it's an under, uh, definitely a space where he can, um, really a sell uh we've seen him as like a big play player already and i don't think he's quite as good as like a a just standard every down cover cover guy so um hopefully we're gonna put everyone in position to sit seat i also think coley's not a bad player so if you can stick him on a number two receiver um at least some of the time and then have trill uh give trill like the ability to to try and make stuff happen um i think it could kind of unlock some interesting things for this defense
0: yeah, I mean, Coley had to get thrown in there a bunch last year uh, due to the injuries to Cisco and, uh, and Millefond, who kind of mid year. So to me, I think Coley's an easy plug in there. The other safety spot, though, uh, you know, with Cisco, I think I'm um, on Greenwood, Neil Nunn. Uh, both of those seem like capable options. I mean, really, the two of them, Cam Jonas, I'd love to finally see like, really hit the field. Um, this is, a, again, just a really young and inexperienced group. But the fact that you know Greenwood and Nunn got themselves in the two deep already in spring, uh, that Says good things to me. I just, especially none who was like a fringe four-star guy. Um, I, I, I think he's, he's a player I'm really excited to see in, in action. I'm glad that he he got the chance to sit last year, even if, um, you know, maybe having him in there could have helped us not miss a ball. Yeah.
1: I, I always seeing redshirt freshmen, like seeing Richard Freshman like kind of step up and grab these, I think it's a good sign when you have like a younger guy in a position of like serious unknown um, step in there and like get these early depth chart rules. I think um, coaches will generally opt for the older guy if all things are equal and uh, to see the freshman kind of getting the first, uh, first pick there gives me at least some hope that like, you know, maybe they're really showing something um, this season. So uh, it's definitely the most unknown part of this defense as well as like the, the depth concerns, but um, I think we'll figure something out here. We, you know, even last year, uh, the defense dealt with a lot of injuries over the course of the season, basically all the big guys missed time. And while obviously that, you know, had some serious repercussions, I thought the the guys who slid in for the most part kind of developed over the course of the year. So hopefully we can have a similar situation, not with the injuries, but in terms of like the guys who have to step up and play a smaller role alongside the stars can, can kind of, you know, use that, uh, you know, the, the, Hey, you have guys to lean on really well, but then also use it as a a time to really develop and show what you have.
0: Yeah, I agree there. Uh, So Dan, we'll do a quick look through the special teams and then just kind of give a win-loss prediction. Um, Special teams, we obviously lose Sterling Hoffrichter. I think that's a much bigger absence than people are necessarily giving it credit for. Um, He was one of the, if not the, like best rated, um, according to Pro Football Focus, uh, special teams player in the country (laughs) last year. And um, and there, there's some big reasons for that. Uh, mostly his ability to pin teams back, um, and get some real great hang time on punts. Um, he was also a really good, uh, kickoff uh, guy. So realistically, like James Williams has a scholarship and could take over that punter role. I think that depends on if he's ready. If he's not, um, I'd be curious to see what Nolan Cooney is able to do. Uh, the Richard senior has a chance, uh, to potentially win that role as, as a walk on, Again, we'll, we'll see. I think, like, her, I know Hoffrichter, uh he redshirted his freshman year, uh, but there was actually a reason for that. I feel like now, Williams, it's really just a question of whether he's able to beat out um, the walk-on Cooney for the job. So we'll see there. Andre Schmidt obviously comes back and is one of the better kickers in the country. Uh, and then you have the return situation, which it's not like I'm happy to see Sean Riley go, but at the same time, I feel like the mistakes are starting to pile up. Um, so much up and down. Time. Yeah, like a lot yeah, like after 2018's like success, I felt like last year was enraging in in some ways. Uh so I I'm excited to see Juar Jordan take over potentially kicks and either Jawar or uh, or Trill take over in punts.
1: Yeah, you just have exciting players to slot in there between those three that you identified. Um obviously we said we want Jordan to have the ball. Obviously part of that could be kicks or punts. Um Nikeem blazing fast, Trill like you Know we saw it with the return against Wake last year. Obviously, it wasn't a, a, a tick return, but um, knows what to do when the ball's in his hands and when he has space in the field, so definitely excited for that. Um, it's funny that like the game, the, the punter battle is definitely going to get more press for Syracuse than it would for like just about any other school, but we've just like talked about runs of guys uh just succeeding. Um, I don't think I've ever seen Syracuse with a bad punter going back to Rob Long um when I started, so uh, it's just like every year to, <laughs> you can just say like our worst our worst years of punting since oh eight. Um, you know, maybe one of those Rob long years was like still quite good. Um now Hoff was like probably set the standard uh these last couple of years. Um even as much as we love for Rally Ditson. Uh, but like they were just so both so good. Um it'd be awesome to see James Williams step right in. Hot, like kinda like Hoff was a, a really um touted as far as like punting recruits go, um touted player. So you know, hopefully the the Colts kicking guys with their their five stars for all those different guys that <laughs> make no sense to anyone else. Um told the truth again, because I think they were pretty high on Hoffrichter as well. They were um yeah, he was like a he was like a top top punter coming in, so it wasn't like a huge uh huge surprise when he had all the success. But punters love the dome, so hopefully he he uh Williams can step right in there and then Schmidt like He was bound to have a setback, uh, not a setback, but like, uh, take a step back from the incredible season he had in 2018. He was still really, really good. Like we, we know how, how volatile kicking can be. If you play like fantasy football in the NFL, like kickers that are awesome one year are just like, can be abysmal the next year and nothing seems to have changed. If uh, Schmidt missed four total kicks last year on, on 60 between extra points and, and field goals, like you'll take that. So, um, Obviously, it's a lot to ask for him to be perfect every year, but uh, I'm supremely confident in him, especially from 50 in.
0: I agree. I think really where, where Schmitz misses, almost all of them have come in the 50 to you know 55 range, um, many of them outdoors, just putting him in situations where he wasn't necessarily set up to succeed. Luckily, I think he he has a great kind of mindset about this stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping he doesn't have to kick as much as he did two years ago. I wouldn't mind seeing him kick more than he did last year, uh, only because I want to see us succeed in the red zone more.
1: Yes, get them set up for, for for success, and like not having to uh, stall out from like not having to kick a bunch of twenty five yarders and not having to kick a bunch of fifty
0: fifty yarders either. Agreed. Um. So Dan, looking at the schedule, but not going game by game, what uh, what do you think's gonna happen?
1: Uh, we need to win our home games. Based on how the schedule is currently con- constructed, um, it is a like That's really <laughs> dire home road split, um you could make the argument that our SIT's easiest games are our home games. Actually, I think that's a I mean, an argument, really. I think that's just a fact. Um, who knows what the bowl, like, I don't know what bowl eligibility looks like, because we don't know, like, is it going to be five wins based on the number of games? Um, what are what are bowls going to look like in it's general? It's not
0: going to be bowls.
1: Hey, ESPN wants them to be Honestly, like if you pull off anything, it's probably a bowl with, with all the, the leeway, but the round of time. But anyway, like if the goal is to like have a bowl type season, I think we have to go for five wins, and I think um, at least four have to come at home, if not all five. <laughs> it's it's like the, the home group is NC State going from top to bottom. It's Georgia Tech, Duke, Liberty, Wake, BC, NC State. Like I think you have to win four of those, and then like maybe you steal one on the road. But like you and Pitts. Trying to like give itself all this hype. I don't buy that they're going to be this great team, but they're definitely like probably a top half ACC team. UNC has a lot of talent. Clemson's Clemson. Louisville was like really, really good. Like you know, good for what a first year under a new coach uh, team that did bottomed out looked like. And then Notre Dame's, you know, a top fifteen to twenty team. So, um, yeah, win your home games. Uh, hopefully, they just start pumping in a lot of noise to the dome or something.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is going to be rough. I think things could start very poorly and kind of, like, I I don't, I know that this was not constructed by SU this time around, but I think I'm not like a, like a third straight schedule that like has kind of a rough start. Yeah. Um, It's not the fault
1: at all. It's just like, you know, it just happened to work out this way where it looks like some of our other schedules.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like it's just not great to to be on the road against North Carolina and Pitt to start the year. UNC in particular, um, just, just become an absolute behemoth overnight um pitts defense is one of the best in the country it's not really going to help us um gain a ton of confidence but like you said i i think the home games are all winnable the road games maybe a little less so i think five and six is gonna be my pick if we can get to six and five i think that that's a great season um given the schedule
1: yeah i think um i think five and six is reasonable i even think there's like you know you might have a four win team here that just like is better than that would normally look. And if you throw on some of the top dates, like they would have been a bowl team. Right. Uh, but again, it's like you throw all of that, that out the window. So you don't know what this is going to look like. Um, I would be disappointed if we don't win four of our home teams. I think, I think you can't split that group. Uh, I think you want to win over 500 against those teams. And then like, hopefully you steal one. If they win one of those first two games, actually, I think it kind of flips the whole thing. Yeah, Cause I then agree. you have all your home needs ahead of you. They're all winnable. Um, They're all easier than pit or UNC on paper um but that's gonna be a big ask so you know I'm 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 gonna mostly be concerned with what they do at home and hopefully they get at least four and i'll feel pretty good about that all things considered
0: yeah i mean this definitely like flips on its head like my idea around you know syracuse always like you know wins four loses four and then whatever else happens in the middle uh theory i i I think here like the the bad part about the schedule is that it asked Syracuse to win most of, if not all of, the toss-ups, and that's yeah. not that's not a that's not a thing that usually goes well for us. Um, I mean, even even during the 2018 season, we still lost one of the toss-ups, and that was the Pit game. Um, we managed to beat the rest of them, but in a season like last year, where we lost most of the, the toss-ups, um, you know, against that middle rung, the NC State, Wake, BC, Pit types. Um, this year, that's our entire home schedule. It, it yep. is those types of teams, and 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 if we have to. And we have to go, if we have to almost go unbeaten against that group, I, I'm i usually not of the mindset that it's going to work out. Um, I hope I'm wrong.
1: Yeah, I mean, if I mean, if we have everything click, like if DeVito takes a big step forward and the offensive line takes a step forward that, you know, guys like David Hale think it will, and the defense just has kind of lean in the middle, but really good, and the other ends, like this could be a sits or maybe even seven wins if you get really pesty and tall for like a Louisville fallback to the pack um slash like either Pitt or North Carolina not being as good. But I think like sits is probably the reasonable ceiling. Um the floor I don't know. I, I, I I'm pretty confident this team will be decent. So I think the four floor is probably three. Um if it's worse than that, like then we have some real problems. But um yeah it's just like tough because the schedule would have been pretty favorable and instead because of the situation it's just not we we, got we caught a really bad break with how the new acc schedule turned out so you just you just hope they play hard and look good like because it's not going to be you are not going to be able to evaluate based on record the same way that you normally would because the schedule looks so different
0: agreed and yes uh three is actually where we're starting next week's uh you know uh, what if uh you know syracuse goes everyone's favorite everyone's favorite (laughs) no one ever gets mad about it I do the honors on the first one, as always, uh, so we will be starting with three and eight. Everyone will be thrilled fun and uh we'll we'll have a special guest in for fridays um as, as people could probably guess based on how the last couple of years have gone about who does the most optimistic one <laughs> um, but anyway, uh Dan, anything else before we head out?
1: No, it's talk to you. it's It's weird that we will maybe have a ball in like uh what like two and a half weeks that's that's crazy, but we'll see what happens, I guess
0: yeah, this was odd, but in a good way, I guess.
1: Yeah, I'm hoping we're rooting for it. I hope it happens. And hopefully, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about it so much. Everyone knows how we feel about it. So <laughs> hopefully it happens. Fingers crossed. Uh, I will, you know, football will be nice to have.
0: All right. Dan, thanks as always. And uh, yeah, everyone, thank you for listening. This has been Troy Nunes and Absolute Podcast, the Syracuse Football uh, 2020 Preview Edition. Uh, you can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on Megaphone, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Black Lives Matter and Go Orange.
1: Go Orange.